Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Friday, November 29th, as the Canucks gear up to take on the Edmonton Oilers tomorrow night in Edmonton on Hockey Night in Canada. And the city of Vancouver continues to ruminate on what was a, I mean, emotional, certainly, uh, 8-6 loss at the hands of the Pittsburgh Penguins on Wednesday night. Now, I broke that game down for you in full, mostly, uh, I think, yesterday on the show. Uh, But I do have some quick notes to amend some things that we talked about yesterday. First of all, I spent a good chunk of time asking why Jacob Markstrom did not play this game and uh, using that as just another example of why Travis Green simply doesn't understand how to put together a lineup uh, that can get a victory out of the current roster that he has. Have to apologize to Travis Green on that one. Have to apologize to you, the listener, as well, because you might have been shouting at the uh, car stereo or wherever you happen to listen to the podcast that he didn't play because he was sick, and I did not know that. Somehow, despite the fact that I watched the game and then listened to a fair chunk of the radio broadcast as it replayed uh, on my way to the studio to record the podcast after I was done watching the game, I somehow never heard once the fact uh, that Jacob Markstrom was uh, sick and out of the game as a result, that that was a scheduled Jacob Markstrom start, and that he, like two other goalies on the NHL schedule on Wednesday, somehow uh, all came down with illnesses and, and, you know, were, I should say, Thatcher Demko was not alone in being uh, unable to be pulled from a game that he might have liked to be pulled from. The same fate fell on Jonathan Bernier in Detroit uh, that same night. So uh, there you go. Uh, Jacob Markstrom fell ill, could not play, was not feeling uh, up to the challenge. Thatcher Demko slides in in his place. And it's too bad because I really do feel like Markstrom was building some momentum, that he was getting on a roll, and rhythm is such an important thing with goaltending to feel like you're settling into a groove both physically and mentally. So uh, whether or not Markstrom can settle right back into that groove, I certainly hope so because, as talked about, uh, he was coming off one of his best efforts of the season, one of his best efforts of his career, really, that Saturday morning game against the Washington Capitals last weekend. So uh, if he can get back to that form that he showed on Saturday against the Caps, he should be up to the task to take on the Oilers and give this team a real shot in the arm because, look, this team has had its faults all season long right through the year, and it has uh, been masked somewhat by the stellar goaltending that they received in the month of October. That stellar goaltending, as we've talked about many times, not necessarily here that much through November, uh, obviously, there have been some, uh, you know, problems with the defense as well. That the the Edler Myers pairing in particular has kind of fallen off, and and uh, Tyler Myers in particular kind of harped on his mistakes in yesterday's uh, podcast as he was a you know contributor to the way that that game got away from the team on Wednesday night. But overall, uh, it would be nice if. Even with these defensive lapses, because I don't know that we're entirely going to be able to count on that top pairing or even just those two guys on separate pairings, Alex Edler and Tyler Myers being able to look the way that they looked in the you know opening month of the schedule. Maybe that's because the opening month of the schedule was you know relatively soft in terms of the opponents that it threw Vancouver's way. But 
Also because these are veteran players, Alex Edler in particular, who played a lot, who have played an awful lot, certainly here in November, and the more their ice time goes up, 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 their play uh, doesn't necessarily deserve it. And I don't want to come on this show today and tell you something that you've heard me talk about maybe a hundred times already, already early in this season, this season that we are a quarter of the way through, uh, the fact that Alex Edler's ice time is out of control. But it's it's a talking point, you know? Media has to harp on this. I, I know that the fans certainly are. I was producing uh, the afternoon show on Sportsnet 650 yesterday, and I will be today as well, uh, with Sadi Shah and Bik Nazar, and we got a ton of calls from people who, you know, did not go to the air but just wanted to call in and respond to the conversation that uh, Sat and Bick were having. And that was about defensemen and defensemen not necessarily uh, making the right plays at key times. And somebody called in to say Alex Edler is playing far too much. And I was like, man, I hear you. You are preaching to the choir on this one. And let's take a look at this and then leave it behind for a little while. I don't want to harp on Edler's ice time constantly, but he did play 25 minutes and 25 seconds, which is almost a full five minutes more than the next guy back, Chris Tanev, who played close to 21, 2052. Uh, Edler and Tanev both played 317 on the penalty kill on Wednesday night, uh, but still, Edler leading the way. Edler up, like I said, up five minutes on the next closest guy. And one of the things that I didn't get a chance to talk about with regards to the defensive effort in particular that was able to hold the Washington Capitals to just one goal last weekend, you know, one of the things that I didn't get a chance to talk about in deconstructing that game as one of Vancouver's best defensive efforts of the season is that Alex Edler left that game and he left it really, really early. He only played 315 in that Saturday morning game against the Washington Capitals, uh, suffered some sort of injury after, you know, roughly three or four shifts there in the first period and had to call it a day, at which point you would think that the D would be screwed for the rest of the game given the way that they have relied on Alex Edler throughout this season and Travis Green cannot help himself but just throw minutes on top of minutes on top of minutes at a guy who is not in his prime anymore, is not in his 20s, is into his mid-30s and certainly cannot hold up over the long-term length of a full regular season, never mind playoff aspirations, if you're going to continue to play him in the 24 to 27-minute range, night in and night out. But uh, leaving that game, you look at what Vancouver was able to do with a more balanced defensive spread. In that game on Saturday, Quinn Hughes played 25-13, nearly a full seven minutes of power play time. Now, granted, special teams are going to inflate that number. It inflated, you know, Chris Tanev's as well. Tanev, 25-41, a full 5.05 on the penalty kill. Uh, you know, Jordy Ben also, four minutes, 17 seconds on the penalty kill, played more than 22 and a half minutes in that game. But when you look at the way it was spread out, Troy Stetcher still winds up being the odd man out as the number six guy as they go to, you know, basically, not basically, five defensemen for the rest of that game, which is two pairings and one guy shuffling in and out. 
Troy Stetcher was the odd man out. He still played 17-26. I think it says something, though, about this team, about the quality of its defense, and about the way you need to spread the load a little better when, in one of your best defensive efforts of the entire year, if not the best defensive effort of the entire year, you are running with five D-men for the entire game, and you do not have Alex Edler at your disposal. That says to me, that is like inconvertible proof that you are leaning on Alex Edler far too much. And I know not every guy can play 25 minutes. That's not how ice time works. You cannot spread it all that much. But I would lean towards Quinn Hughes being a guy that you probably should be playing more than Alex Edler. That was the fight at the end of last season is, well, Alex Edler wouldn't be comfortable I don't think it would be fair to him to just give up his spot on power play number one. Didn't take very long into this season to reverse course on that decision. Now did it? I don't think it did at all. Less than 10 games, maybe. Quinn Hughes up to power play number one, and we have, as I mentioned, never looked back from there for good reason, because he's better suited for that role than Alex Edler. And for all of maybe... uh, you know, his faults as a, as a physical defender, that he can't always make the right play uh, in terms of being able to play the body. I'm still feeling more comfortable putting Quinn Hughes out in defensive situations like that, in key situations like that, where I trust his stick to come up with the puck, and I trust his feet more than that to push it into the offensive zone. This team spending far too much time in its own end at the moment, and it can't seem to get anything going offensively. Why don't you lean on a guy who's an offensive dynamo and seems to have no problem entering the uh, opposition end and and taking the puck to where it needs to go? I would say there's an easy fix for these problems. Play Alex Edler a little less. Play Quinn Hughes a little more. And I'll talk more about Hughes after this. Quinn Hughes has been delivering the goods on power play number one. And if that reminds you of something, it might be the fine folks at DoorDash who always deliver. Treat yourself to the meal that you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. Listening on the go? If you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcasts.com slash offers. Okay, so, Quinn Hughes. While I'm offering Mia culpas, not only was I wrong about Jacob Markstrom and him uh, not being, you know, not put in as a starter for the game on Wednesday night, I, I was a little critical, let's say, last week about Quinn Hughes, and not necessarily, I didn't say he was bad, I never said that, I just said he had quieted down a little bit in November, he didn't look as dynamic, he'd had a, a spell of maybe three, four games in a row where he wasn't all that noticeable necessarily. Uh, and I was, you know, was primarily comparing him to Kale McCarr because Kale McCarr in the game against the Avs a couple weeks back now was spectacular. Kale McCarr took over that game uh, for the Avalanche. He, I mean, he was a contributing factor in the way the Avs were able to take over. Obviously, Nathan McKinnon helped as well. But you couldn't help but watch that game and just be shocked at the things that Kale McCarr was able to do. And I can't recall really a ton of games this year 
where Quinn Hughes has left me wowed in the same way. And that's not to say that I have become dulled to the magic of Quinn Hughes or that think that his uh, contributions have been insignificant. It's just Kale McCarr is operating at a different level, or so it seemed watching them play that game that night. But there is something to be said for the fact that Hughes has just been so quietly efficient thus far this year. The fact that as a rookie, he is not only on pace at the moment, as reported yesterday by Rob Williams of uh, Daily Hive, Quinn Hughes is not only on pace to set the record for points scored by a rookie defenseman for the Vancouver Canucks. He is on pace not just to set the rookie scoring record, a record that hasn't even stood for, what, five, six months at this point? Something that Elias Pettersson set earlier this year, and we were on high alert down the stretch, I feel like, towards the end of last season, wondering, can he do it? Is he going to do it? A quiet night, he might not do it. We were on rookie watch for EP throughout the the stretch run to see if he was going to break Pavel Bure's record. Now, ultimately, there are a few reasons for that. Obviously, Patterson missed several games with injury and didn't look the same necessarily for stretches when he was coming back from concussion issues and after he got his leg twisted up with Kakiniemi in Montreal. There's all sorts of reasons that play into why it was so dramatic uh, the way that Patterson was able to finally break the scoring record uh, for rookies. Pavel Bure's record that has stood for an awful long time in this city uh, earlier this year, last season. There's all sorts of things that play into that. And obviously, injuries can happen to Quinn Hughes. We've seen a couple of scares where it seemed like injuries might happen to Quinn Hughes already this year. And we're very lucky that they did not happen. But the fact of the matter is that right now, as we speak, assuming he does not suffer any injuries that prevent him from playing the remainder of the schedule, I think he missed two games earlier, so it'll be 80 games total for him. If he's able to do that, he is on pace right now to finish the season with 68 points, which is remarkable, which is truly incredible. Because the franchise record for points scored by a defenseman in a single season is Doug Lidster, which was set the year that I was born, 1987. Lidster's record, 63 points. Quinn Hughes could best that as a rookie. He's already on pace to best uh, the record set, as I said, for rookie scoring, which was set by Dale Talon. Talon's total was 42 points, but... uh, Just, you know, incredible. Kale McCarr has 25 points in 24 games, and that's amazing. That's, uh, uh, you know, he he looks amazing. He is a sight to see. He is a genuine reason, I mean, among a number, as I mentioned, why the Colorado Avalanche, why the Colorado Avalanche have become a must-watch team in the NHL. But Quinn Hughes right now, 25 games played, 21 points in them. Uh, For a guy who's a year younger and uh, doesn't have that extra year of university polish on him uh, that Kale McCarr was able to accrue, I'd say I maybe was overstepping a little bit by being critical of Quinn Hughes the way I was, which is a couple weeks ago now. You probably don't even remember that I said that, but I do. I remember that I said that, and looking at his point totals and what he's currently projected to do, I feel like... Maybe I shouldn't have said anything critical about Quinn Hughes, really at any point, because I I feel like he even prefaced it at the time, which was to say he's a rookie. What do we expect? 
he can't be lighting it up every single night. But apparently he can if he's on point if he's on pace for 68 points, nearly 70 points as a defenseman, as a rookie. My goodness, this guy. How do you not get excited about that? Just look at those numbers and feel feel at peace. Feel a thrill of knowing that this guy is going to be a member of the Vancouver Canucks for years and years to come. Fingers crossed, anyways. Assuming nothing goes wrong and we don't have to deal with I don't know, tyrannical egos with maybe his dad and then the GM. I have no idea. No, he seems like he's in tight with this crew. He seems like he's certainly in tight with John Weisbrod as a family friend anyways, and maybe that's not good news for those of you who'd rather see John Weisbrod not be a part of this organization long term. I'm probably included in that group, but uh, whatever the case, man, just, just look at that stat line. Look at what Quinn Hughes is doing right now. Two goals, 19 assists, 21 points, minus three. 13 power play points. Look at where he is in the overall league standings right now. He is just 20 years old. He turned 20 last month. He's barely 20. And he's tied for fifth for defenseman scoring in the league this season. Tied with Brent Burns. Three points behind Roman Yossi. Not that far. I mean, yes, he is pretty far behind John Carlson. 15 points. But still, when Carlson is having a miracle season, you look at what Quinn Hughes is doing at his age when he is just beginning, and you cannot help but feel that things are going to go well for this team in the future, even if they did not go well on Wednesday night. And of course, it seems fitting, given that this has been the uh, the slogan, the sales pitch, the tagline, whatever you want to call it, for the 50th anniversary season, that as we speak of a bright future, so too we must look back at a colorful past, and uh, not the kind of colorful, perhaps, that the Canucks were thinking when they came up with that slogan. Because uh, you may have noticed over the course of the last week, Really something that's spiraled right from the moment Don Cherry was fired, I guess. You may have noticed that hockey is going through a bit of a cultural reckoning at the moment. Safe to say we can call it that. Uh, and I don't mean to make light of this at all. Akeem uh, Alou, I think that's how you say it. Alou, Aliou, not sure. Either way, as allegations against Mike Babcock were snowballing in Toronto, Akeem Alou uh, decided to join the fray and take aim at a Babcock disciple, somebody who, uh, you know, t- trained as one of his assistants, worked within the same system. Bill Peters in Calgary. You've heard the story. You know all about it. Akeem Alou alleging that awful racial slurs were thrown at his direction as a rookie. Uh, in the AHL, and when he spoke out about it, when he did not uh, take kindly to that, his relationship with Bill Peters as a coach soured, despite the fact that he was off to a hot start uh, to his campaign in terms of offensive production. Peters decided to send him down to the ECHL simply because he didn't like him, based on the fact that he, you know, Alou didn't take kindly to the fact that he had the N-word thrown at him. Peters has been suspended by the Flames. You're all aware of this story at this point. I don't want to explain it in depth, but where this ties into the Canucks is that Akeem Alou is not the only player banging the drum in terms of trying to uh, have old stories told 
about coaches who treated their players less than well, shall we say. Uh, Daniel Carcillo, who I have an enormous amount of respect for, given the way that he... And Steve Downey is the same, to be perfectly honest with you. These guys who played the game like scumbags, basically, have become the most noble, the most honorable guys off the ice in terms of self-reflection on their careers, self-reflection on the institutions that trained them to do the things that they did, the regret that they feel for the pain they brought to other guys' lives with hits that they threw, so on, etc. Daniel Carcillo has become a big-time voice in treating concussions and trying to save guys uh, who have been pushed over the brink. Because, look, we've seen it a, a ton. And I know the NHL wants you for, to forget about it, but earlier this decade, there were a rash of suicides related to hockey. There simply were. You know, Derek Bugard, Rick Rippin here in Vancouver, Wade Belak, ton of guys who just couldn't do it anymore, decided to end their lives because of the pain that hockey brought into them. And, you know, the fact that Carcillo was being somebody who was advocating for uh, brain care and, uh, you know, concussion advocacy, that alone is spectacular. But he's also joined the fray as someone who wants to bang the drum and out abusive coaches over things that they have done in the past that they have never faced any sort of consequence for. And Carcillo, happy to tell stories about his own experiences with coaches in the past. He's done that before. Right now, he's saying he's saying on Twitter he's got open DMs, and he's willing to hear from anybody. Anybody who wants to tell a story about what a coach did to them, you can reach out. Daniel Carcillo will hear your story, and he will try to take action if that's what you want to do. He tweeted yesterday that one of the names that keeps coming up again and again and again People reaching out to him privately via DM, via text, via phone call. A name that he keeps hearing as someone with a checkered past that is going to come back to haunt them is a name that is very familiar here in Vancouver, and that's Mark Crawford. And that is not necessarily the most surprising revelation if you paid attention to his years here in Vancouver, to uh, his entire NHL career, really. Mark Crawford, a guy who loved to scream at his players, loved to get right in their face in that John Tortorella mold and just, you know, degrade guys, just yell and scream and who knows what. We didn't get to listen to it. We could certainly see it happen on the bench, but we didn't know what was being said. And the NHL would probably rather that we don't know, but there are certain players who would rather that we did. And a transcript and this is from last year. This is an appearance on the Spit and Chicklets podcast from last year, something that was uh, transcribed by Omar Canuck. Brent Sopel goes on that podcast and talks about the way Mark Crawford treated him when he was playing in Vancouver. And I don't want to read all this to you because you've probably read it already, but if you haven't, I can't even read all of it because it's just horrible in the first place. This is Brent Sopel on Spit and Chicklets. I think it was my third or fourth training camp. I'm in Ottawa. We'd played an exhibition game. Mark Crawford is our coach at this time. He pulls me in, and he says, Soaps, we're sending you down. You're a pussy. You don't fight. You don't hit. You don't skate. You don't shoot. You're a pussy. You do fucking nothing out here, so we're sending you to the minors. He said, you're terrible. You do nothing. You don't shoot hard. You don't skate hard. You don't pass hard. You do absolutely nothing. You have no hope of an NHL career, so you're sent. 
So you're heading off to the minors. See you later. I thought the NHL was no hope after that meeting. Crow and I had a love-hate relationship. We had more fuck-you matches on the bench and in the dressing room than I've ever heard. He came after me all the time. He kicked me. He choked me. He grabbed me by the back of my jersey and pulled me back. He attacked guys personally. He came up one year after the season. He's like, Soaps, you need to work hard. You need to gain 15 to 20 pounds. So I left there, went home, hit the diet, hit the weights, put on 20 pounds of muscle. I came back here, and he's yelling at the bench, what are you, fucking Hercules now? Are you turning green? Are you the Hulk? Just screaming at me. He suspended me for, I think it was six weeks. He wouldn't let me play, only in practice. He bag skated me, and I'd have to stay, and I'd have to step on a scale every single day to see what my weight loss was before he'd let me play. For whatever reason, he just kept putting me out there. I probably played close to 500 games in my career for him, so as much as I hated him, for whatever reason, there was something he liked about me. Well, look at that. I guess I did read the whole thing. And I know what the argument is going to be, that that's like the, like the movie Whiplash, you know, that the ends justify the means, that you can be intolerable to one of your pupils because that's how you feel you're going to get the best out of them. That's always going to be the defense anytime any coach is in an incident like this that does not involve racial slurs, that does not cross the line to that extent. That's always going to be the excuse. Well, I was just... I was saying those things to him to to get a rise out of him because I thought that's what he needed to hear to become the man that he ultimately did become. And maybe there is some truth to that, but also that's really bad, man. That's really, really bad. That's really bad. Kicking, choking. You can't like you cannot get physical with someone like that. I don't care what the stakes are. You know, I know that everybody wants to win the cup and we're supposed to look past anything that happens if it's all for the benefit of winning. But people's mental health, people's uh, physical health, people's stability from, a, uh, you know, a mental <sighs> aspect, that has to win out over Mark Crawford's desire to win one extra game so he doesn't get fired at the end of the season, whatever the case might be. And I, I actually explicitly do remember the, the season that Sopel is talking about where he went out and got strong because he was too weak along the boards, I guess. I don't know. And, and he did come back, and he was a bit slower, but he did exactly what was asked of him, put on that muscle, and then he wasn't allowed to play. He had to get back to the way he was before. At the time, that story was presented through the media like a joke, like a like a laugh line. Like, isn't it funny that he went out and he did ex- he he put on all this muscle and he came back and look at him now. He can barely fit his old gear or whatever. You know that was a laugher in the press at the time. Doesn't seem like a laugher now when you hear it in that context. So, I guess we will see if there are more stories coming about Mark Crawford. But if that's just one man's experience, if that's just what Brent Sopel brought up on a podcast last year. As this worm turns and the NHL kind of has to face up to its cultural issues over the last several decades, would not be surprised in the slightest if we hear plenty more stories about Mark Crawford. And given the way his career went, I would imagine a ton of them took place right here in Vancouver.
Anyway, that's our show for the day. Sorry to end on such a dour note. Uh, kind of a downer, and my apologies for that. But uh, that's just the way she goes sometimes. If you enjoyed the program, feel free to rate and review it wherever you get it, whatever podcast app you use. It always helps the program. Uh, gives us a boost in the iTunes or Apple Podcasts algorithms. Helps people find the show. And it's nice for me to read the reviews as well. So if you want to leave me a rating and a review, I always appreciate that. Otherwise, I'll be back tomorrow morning to tee up tomorrow's action against the Edmonton Oilers, a game that might break my prediction streak where I am 0 for 11 thus far on the 12 games that I was asked to predict right here on this very podcast. We will find out for ourselves tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. Hope you are too. In the meantime, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.